On November 8th, 1961, a private yacht set sail from Florida toward the Bahamas. The crew consisted of the captain, uh, whose name was uh, Julian Harvey, and his wife, and the passengers, there were just five, all part of the Duperalt family, including their three children. One evening, a few days into the cruise, the captain suggested that everybody uh, decide to sleep up on the deck in order to enjoy the fine evening and the moonlit night. Apparently, he had a plan all along that he was going to uh, scuttle the ship and brutally murder his wife and all the passengers in order to collect insurance money and claim the whole thing was, was uh, an accident at sea, a tragedy. And that night, he carried out that plan. He uh, entered a dinghy as the ship began to uh, slowly sink and uh, a day or so later was picked up by the Coast Guard and he told his false story which of course meant that there was no uh, search party sent out uh, just assuming everything and everyone was gone. One little girl though, 11 years old, was not on the deck that night. She had decided to sleep in her cabin as she had been before and didn't realize there was anything amiss until she realized water was beginning to seep into the cabin. So she emerged up on the deck, saw the lifeless bodies that were there. She remembered that there was a small life raft and uh, secured that and entered it just before the ship went down and found herself at that moment all alone, without any resources of her own, and without any hope for survival. Sometimes we can almost identify with what that girl must have been thinking at that moment. Adrift in this world, with uh, facing a, a uh, overwhelming circumstances at times, and we also can feel quite helpless and even hopeless. Whether it's the, an unrelenting pain, a, an illness of unknown cause that doctors just can't figure out, some desperate situation at the moment, and even those that are not life-threatening. Most of us have probably not been in many life-threatening circumstances, yet it can still seem desperate at the moment. Helpless, however, does not have to equal hopeless. Helpless is not necessarily hopeless. Because as alone as you might feel at such moments, Psalm 116 tells us that there is a God ready to hear the cry for help. 
he hears that cry and he responds to the call for help. This psalm doesn't tell us what particular uh, trial the psalmist had just emerged from and he is on the other side of it in this case. You might be in the midst of such a trial right now. But from his vantage point on the other side, he's looking back and without giving us any details of what actually happened, he tells us exactly how it felt. Giving us the opportunity to apply his testimony as a pattern in our lives for how to respond when you are facing such a trial and then what to do, what would be appropriate from you once God brings you through that trial safely to the other side. The Lord does respond to the call for help. And the result of that, this psalm is going to assure us in a few different ways, is to devote yourself to him. As if to say, you've done this for me, you are my God. I want to live for you. The psalmist already in verse one is telling us his response to what God has done for him. His testimony is that I love the Lord. Now let's remind ourselves that this is more than just uh, an expression of a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. Isn't God nice? I just love him. This love is a love of commitment. This is a love of devotion. This is a love of obedience to God. I love the Lord. There's already the capsule expression of the response of a grateful heart. Why does the psalmist love the Lord? Well, first of all, it's because he listens when you call for help. Never too busy, never, never occupied with other things, never asleep, never on a journey. The Lord listens when you call for help. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. This is clearly an earnest prayer. This is a, a, a desperate situation. There isn't anywhere else to turn. So my pleas for mercy from the Lord. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. All we know so far is that the psalmist has told the Lord, I need your help. He's expressed it in his pleas for mercy. And all we know of God's response so far is that he inclined his ear. This is an expression indicating God is, it's, it's like he's leaning forward. Oh, do you need some help? I hear that call because he listened when I call. Already the psalmist makes a resolve. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The call here is the call for help. If there's an instance in your past when you needed God's help, 
you call to him and he answered. Then like the psalmist, you have good reason to set that then as your pattern. There is how I'm going to respond when I face future trials. That's a really good resolve, although it tends to be one that we can forget at the next instance. But he's asking already, implied here, for God's help. God, help me to remember to call the next time. There isn't any need to wallow in this sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Call on God. Give him the opportunity to hear what you have to say. Verses 3 and 4. Again, no specifics here, but this is how it felt. And the pattern then for us is tell God how it feels. Feel free to be expressive about the impact that this trial, whatever the details are in your life, tell him what it feels like. Here's how it felt to the psalmist. See if you can relate to this. The snares of death encompass me. It's like he's being uh, caught in a trap and he's bound up and, the, and death itself is starting to reel him in. I'm caught. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Okay, that's real life. That's what it feels like, Lord, Tell him that. The focus here is on the effect, not on the specific cause. So again, that's why this can apply to any circumstance. So that's what it felt like, and that's what prompted uh, verse 4, then I called on the name of the Lord, and here's all we get, just a snippet of the prayer. Maybe this was the whole thing. The prayer for help is, oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. He called on the name of the Lord. Now, yes, he used the word Lord in the prayer itself, but to call on the name of the Lord doesn't mean that you pronounced his name. It means it's on the basis of his name that you issue the call. God, I come before you because of who you are. Everything that your name represents, that's my hope. That's my guarantee that you are listening now because I know what you are like. How do you know what God is like? It's because he tells us in his word. God listens when you call for help. Verses 5 through 11 tell us he goes beyond just listening. God answers when you call for help. Now, we don't know how long the psalmist called before the answer became apparent, before the deliverance actually arrived. We know from our own experience, sometimes it takes a considerable amount of time. That's all in God's plan. Sometimes his response 
that we feel, that we experience is immediate. Sometimes it's not. But whatever God's timetable is in that particular instance, we know he answers when you call for help. His delay is not to tantalize us, His delay is to make sure we get, number one, the full benefit of this trial. Sometimes we take longer than others. And also for the full accomplishment of his purpose. That is in his hands. But we know that he answers when you call. God's help is reliable. Verse 4, the psalmist reflects on some of the characteristics of God. Three of them. He says, gracious is the Lord. It's just who he is. It's like God can't help but show his grace in time of need. And he's righteous. He always does what is right. You can count on it. Our God is merciful. Mercy is for those that are in desperate circumstances, those that are pitiful, those who can do nothing to help themselves. Well, we have a merciful God. The Lord, in verse 6, preserves the simple. Now, I think we're supposed to identify with that word simple. Uh, Simple means someone who's uh, still got a lot of work to do, still has a lot of growing to do. This is the untrained person. And from the perspective of whatever progress you've made already in becoming more like Christ and getting victory over sin, the reality is there's a long way to go. And in that sense, we are all in the category of the simple. We simply need his help. There's no other way. How does God respond to those that know they can't do it themselves? He preserves the simple. Back to the personal testimony. When I was brought low, he saved me. Oh, there, he's just summarized for us one of the key reasons why God allows trials to help us realize how much we need him. When I was brought low, low enough to know I can't handle this. That's when God saved me, he says. Return, O my soul, and here is a self-admonition, also serves as an admonition for all of God's people who would follow this example. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Again, I I read this as the trial's now over. This is after the fact. This is composing this psalm as his personal testimony. But a reminder that there can be aftershocks of a trial. The real response, though, ought to be, I trust this God. 
There will be more trials, but I can rest in him. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Verses 8 through 11 tell us that God's help is always effective. For you have delivered my soul from death. Whether that was a genuine life-threatening circumstance for the psalmist or did it just feel like he could just about die, we don't know. And in the same way, whether your life is really in danger or just feels like that, he delivers. You delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. That last phrase is so true to life. We realize that God himself is not the only unseen actor when we are facing trials. That for every trial, Satan wants to turn that into a temptation. A temptation to stumble in your trust in God. A temptation to wonder whether he really loves you. A temptation to just give it all up and just strike out on your own and indulge yourself. If that's the way God's going to be, but God can keep your feet from stumbling in the midst of the most severe trials. Our victory through such times of temptation are because God helps us through that. God can keep your feet from stumbling. And now the psalmist can say with confidence, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It looked like I was going to depart the land of the living, but apparently God has more for me to do, more opportunity to point others to him, more opportunity to live for God. And so I will walk before the Lord. This experience makes me more mindful that while I am here on this earth, God is watching over me from his perspective. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Who would want to walk in this land apart from the Lord? Not the psalmist. At the same time, he can admit that there are some lingering weaknesses at work in my heart. He says, I believed even when I spoke And here he quotes himself in the midst of the turmoil, I am greatly afflicted. And then he said something else in his alarm. All mankind are liars. You just can't count on people. Maybe some bitter disappointment over turning to some friends for help to find that they were either unwilling or unable. People do fail us. It's a sad experience. But the reality is 
only God is always reliable. So the psalmist here is admitting, yeah, there were some times, and I may even have said some things that could be interpreted as lack of faith. I am so greatly afflicted. Everybody's a liar. But through it all, I still believed God. I believed in spite of what I was feeling, in spite of what I was saying. Faith in God persevered. There's the key. Over the last two weeks, we have had two earnest calls to join in prayer with two families. They both happen to be serving the Lord elsewhere. But just a few weeks ago, the Wagners, we got a a call for urgent prayer. Joel had just found out that his passport was unacceptable for any future use in Thailand because they didn't find any pages left that they thought they had access to. Turns out they were actually mistaken, but that was their perspective. They weren't going to accept it. And if they, if they didn't accept that passport in the, uh, the Monday of the very next week, his whole family's set of visas to stay in Thailand were all in jeopardy. They'd have to start the process all over again. So he asked us to pray. Now, Joel was calling out to the Lord for help himself, but we all joined in praying. And as it turns out, God answered prayer. God enabled Joel to get an emergency replacement U.S. passport to to encounter uh, a, a member of the consulate staff that was sympathetic and would respond immediately to the need because there was no opportunity for delay. God answered prayer. And then it was just two weeks ago tomorrow that the Gibbons found out that the baby that, that Danielle was carrying for the previous 28 weeks had died and that she would have to deliver this stillborn child. It took all that week until Friday before the delivery happened. What did they do? They called out for help. And they too issued that call to their supporters uh, of which we are a part. And we've responded in prayer. God has undertaken, although they are not through that trial. Last week was a, a huge step in the right direction. But the trial continues for them. Uh, there is an empty bed in their home. There's, uh, there's a cemetery now in England that holds one of their children. I'm confident God is going to use this ultimately to knit their hearts to that land. They've got a real stake there now. 
God, no doubt, has multiple other purposes for why he's uh, allowed this tragedy into their lives. But the point is, they called and they are calling. God has heard, God has answered, and he will continue to answer. God rescues from trials. When you feel powerless facing unexpected bills or facing perhaps a hostile government agency, or maybe you have faced sudden abandonment by friends or family, the psalmist says, call to the Lord. Present that to him. And in faith, trust his grace. Oh, why do trials have to be so hard? Well, we can imagine that if we never had any experience that paralleled verses 1 through 11, then we wouldn't have any response either that parallels 12 through 19. The verses that remain tell us that the Lord deserves gratitude. How should you respond to a God who hears and answers when you call for help? The psalmist, uh, and he could have picked some others, but I think he's hit right at the heart of what would please God. He gives us two suggestions, two resolves that he made himself that then become the pattern for us to follow. Verses 12 through 14, he deserves your grateful worship for the rest of your life. He says in verse 12, asking this question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And if there was only ever one instance, the question is still pertinent. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Here's the first answer. Verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. What's that mean, to lift up the cup of salvation? Salvation here could actually be salvation from sin because there's no question that's where this all starts. The very first time you were in desperate circumstances and only God could help was the moment that you turned to Christ for saving grace and forgiveness of your sin. Lift up the cup of salvation then means I'm going to exalt the God who did this for me. Whether it was the salvation of your soul or God's grace through a particular instance of trial on this earth, my response is going to be to lift that cup up, that emblem of what God has done for me. What's it mean to lift it up? It means to make sure that other people know 
Here is public testimony of praise to God, of worship to God. And in the larger sense, every time we gather together to worship God as we are right now, we are in a sense lifting up the cup of salvation, the cup of rescue. God has saved me. God has enabled me to continue to serve him. And we do this publicly. We gather together as God's people so that others can know. In fact, the, uh, the next verse goes on to say, I will pay my vows in the presence of all his people. This is giving God worship, expressing your devotion to him, fulfilling your obligation. That's, the, that's what the meaning of vow is here. Because of what God has done, I devote myself to him and I fulfill that partly by engaging, participating together in public worship. And I commit myself to do that the rest of my life. There will be no final tally that says, there, that was enough worship for God. There's always more that he deserves. God deserves your grateful worship. Verses 15 through 19, he moves on to another aspect of gratitude. God deserves your grateful service. I shared this psalm with Clay and Danielle last Monday evening. Monday evening was actually the only time I had with just the two of them. We walked uh, about a mile to a a local restaurant from their home and uh, talked along the way, talked while we were there. And in the midst of that, I said, let me read you what I was planning to preach last Sunday, which was on that day, just the day before. And I got to verse 15. When I read that, Daniel's eyes uh, Daniel's uh, eyes, who were, which were already moistened with tears, began to, they began to stream down her cheek, and she said, does it really say that? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, I knew exactly how she was taking that, that God was tender at that moment in the loss of their baby. There's no callousness with God. God understands how personal, how intimate was was this experience for them. But you know, God actually, this verse actually expresses something even more than that. In this context, the word translated precious here could also be translated costly. And the indication in the next verse is that that's the meaning that God really has in mind this time. The other is also true, but in this passage, the emphasis is on when a child of God dies prematurely, that's costly to the Lord. That is, he had plans for that individual, and this circumstance has deprived him of a servant that he was counting on? 
Oh no, that would actually be too costly, which is why he doesn't allow that. Costly in the sight of the Lord would be the premature loss of one of his servants. So the psalmist says, well, then if I'm still living, that can only mean one thing. I have to devote myself to serve the Lord. I continue to live as his servant. Oh, Lord, he says, recognizing all this, I am your servant. I'm the, your servant, the son of your maidservant. It's like that. Well, that's my family trait. I was born into your family, Lord, to be your servant. And I devote myself to that end. This tells us that God provides your allotted time. You still breathing? It's, big, it's for a purpose. He has service for you to render that nobody else can render as well. He will give you your allotted time. There there is no premature death in God's plan. Premature from our perspective, no. And I could assure them that although their little baby, Owen, All he knew of life on this earth was within his mother's womb. That in those weeks, he fulfilled God's purpose. Nothing happened prematurely. But on that basis, God expects your continual thanks. Verse 17 Here's his response. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The sacrifice here is that service takes time. Service requires resources. Service means you might not get to spend all the time on your stuff as you might like. That's the sacrifice of thanksgiving. My gratitude to God says, I am your servant. I will pay my, also in verse 17, and call on the name of the Lord. This last half of the psalm, the the words call on the name of the Lord reflect a public call of testimony. The first part of the psalm, those two instances, it's the call for help. Here it's the call for God's help me. And I need to say so. I need to show it in how I live. I will pay my vows. There's an obligation in service as well. And I'll do that in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, and he keeps expanding this, the wider community. In your midst, O Jerusalem, and in this way, I determine to praise the Lord. The little girl in the boat that little life raft, it was a one-person raft, tiny. 
As she assessed her circumstances, realized that she had nothing. She had no food. She had no water. She had just the pajamas she had been wearing that night. Helpless? Yes. Hopeless? No. That 11-year-old girl knew the Lord. And she decided to turn to him, to call to him, to save her. She said the first glimmer of answer to that was uh, a few dolphins that began swimming alongside her. And she took encouragement from that and asked the Lord for more. Can you send someone to save me? Inexplicably, apart from God's grace, a Greek freighter passing through that region, somebody on deck happened to spot this white speck out in the ocean, and he convinced the captain to steer toward it, find out what it was, and they were stunned to see a little girl inside. This was four days into her Uh, her lonely wandering. After four days, she was severely sunburned. She was severely dehydrated. But she was alive. She went to live with uh, a loving aunt and uncle, and for 20 years, they, they kept it all quiet. They didn't want this little girl to have the publicity that would come from that, but After that period of time, as an adult, she decided, this isn't right. God rescued me. Others need to know. And she invited the the newspapers and magazines and all across the nation, they found out about this little girl that they called the sea orphan. And they heard how God rescued her. Has God rescued you? Has he saved your soul? Has he answered when you called? The world needs to know. The testimony of public worship, the testimony of earnest service for God, that's how you can tell the world. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we readily acknowledge that we need your help in life's desperate circumstances. But Father, we also need your help to respond to your instances of grace through devoted public worship and through devoted public service for Christ. Father, would you forgive us for being slack in our gratitude and slack in our response? Father, you deserve better. Ask for your help, Father, to fulfill this pattern of personal testimony. For Jesus' sake, amen.